Welcome to the prolific teaching ministry of Pastor Emmanuel Iren, lead pastor of Celebration Church International. It is his vision to partner with you for your progress and joy in the faith. Ready, set, grow. Hallelujah. We have a lot to cover, but I like to um, usually start teaching with a story. And today I'm going to talk about a story I don't really share so often. So often. During Christ Celebration Convocation, it's um, or what we call Reboot Camp. It's our end of the year camp meeting. Okay. It's our end of the year camp meeting. Um, yearly at Celebration Church College Reboot Camp or CCC. And so during CCC 2018, I realized that I was pregnant with my second daughter. That's when I realized, just during CCC. So usually we would go and evangelize during CCC. And we had been praying all morning during that camp. And Pastor was like, okay, we're supposed to like break and take lunch. But Pastor was like, no lunch. Everybody go for evangelism like that. And I felt like if I did not eat, I was going to die. Because for me, hunger is a major sign of pregnancy. Hunger was a major sign of pregnancy for me. Don't worry, I'm going somewhere, I promise. <laughs> and I, I remember thinking, oh my God, I'm about to die now, like if I don't eat. So I actually, let me just confess, I actually went and I hid somewhere and I ate. And the next day I did a pregnancy test and I realized I was pregnant. But that's just like the gist. What I want to point out from this is, if somebody had seen me eating at that time, they wouldn't have made excuses for me. They wouldn't have been like, ah, maybe it's because she's pregnant, that's why she's eating. Do you know why? Because even though I was pregnant at the time, I wasn't showing so it's possible for you to be pregnant and people may not know. It's possible to you to, for you to have a seed of righteousness, be that, be that as it may, on your inside and people can't tell. Because maybe, oh, well, it's just your first trimester, you're still looking slim, your tummy is still flat, nobody can tell. In fact, I remember one time during my first trimester, one of my children, and somebody asked me to give something up for a pregnant woman, I think it was a seat or something. I was like, can't you see her? She's heavy. And I was like, ah, if only you knew, because my own is not showing. However, there are some people who seem to have what you might consider to be fruits. Like you might see somebody, there's this judicate challenge they do in challenge, rather, they do in Nigeria, where it's a song about pregnancy. And so you might see somebody who wears like a fake tummy and they're singing judicate, right? But they're not really pregnant. So sometimes when it comes to faith, you have people who have the seed on their inside, but for some reason are not showing the fruit. But you also have people who seem to have the fruit, but are not showing the seed. So there are two ends of the rope. One person says, my pregnancy test is positive. And the other person is like, okay, where's your baby bump? And the other person is like, my I don't have a pregnancy test, but I have a baby bump. And so there are some people who say, well, I don't believe in your Jesus, but I behave well. But some others may not be showing fruit yet, but have faith, but believe, but have something planted in them. That's beautiful, isn't it? To know that when you become a believer, all the fruits might not show at once. But imagine if you've been pregnant for eight months. And I say, okay, where is your bomb? And you say, no, my test is positive. It doesn't really matter. It now becomes a problem. So as a Christian, even though you are not saved by your fruits, if you really are saved by grace through faith, it should show in your fruits. You understand what I'm saying? If you understand, shout hallelujah. So obviously, salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. But guess what? You've been saved by grace to become the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. So it's great that your test is positive, but let's see the results. You might say, well, it's gradual. But if it's gradual, it has to be progressive. If you give somebody a job to do and the job will take two years, you don't say, when you come the first day and you say, maybe you ask the person to build something. I say, where is this thing you are building? You say, you know, I just started. I'm in the architectural phase. Six months later, I'm in the architectural phase. It doesn't make, it doesn't add up. So even though when it comes to bearing fruits, it's a gradual process. It's got to be progressive. Because that pregnant person is eventually going to show. That seed that is planted is eventually going to bear fruit. And so this morning, I want to talk to you about abiding so that you can bear fruit. Glory to God. See something Jesus said in John 15. 
if you study your Bible, you realize that from John 15 to John 17, that's the last message that Jesus Christ preached before he was arrested and subsequently put to death. So it's a very, very heartfelt, emotional kind of message. And see what he says, John 15 verse 4. He says, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. He says, I am the vine and ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. So this guy is about to die. He's been with these people. He's been their minister, their spiritual leader. He's actually their Lord and Savior. He's been with them for three years, and now he's about to die. And if you watch Nigerian movies or any kind of movies, you know that when somebody is about to die, they say the things that are most important to them. And so Jesus is preaching this heartfelt message, and he's like, I need you to abide in me. I know that you're already born of me. You already believe, but I need you to stay. I'm not asking you to do stuff so that you can be a part of me. I'm asking you to do stuff because you already are a part of me. That's something we must understand. So there has to be a commensurate response on the outside to the person that you are on the inside. You know, I'm really, really bad when it comes to agriculture. I'm good at some things. But like agric, I'm just really horrible at it. So if I look at a tree, I can't tell you what tree it is. Some people can tell you, plus the biological name. The only biological name that comes to mind right now is Oriza Sativa. I think that's rice. But I'm very, very bad when it comes to agriculture. In fact, sometimes it extends to animals. I remember one time, I can't remember what exact animal it was, but I remember my daughter showing me an animal. I think she showed me an animal's picture. I said, Mommy, what is that? And I said, it's a tiger now. And she said, no, it's a cheetah. Or I think she showed me a dolphin and I said it was a shark. That's how bad I am. But guess what? No matter how bad one is when it comes to agriculture, when you look at a tree that has fruit, you immediately know what kind of tree it is. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the vine, ye are the branches. So you need to bear fruit. You need to bear fruit. Not only did Jesus think so, James thought so too. In James 2 verse 17, he says, even so faith, if it had not works, is dead, being alone. He says, yea, a man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show you my faith by my works. So James is not being legalistic here. Because guess what? There are two examples, and I'm going to show you what I mean. He talks about the person who has works. He talks about the person who has works and has faith. He talks about the person who claims to have faith but doesn't have works. He doesn't even mention the person who has works without faith because that one is not even on the table at all. So he is not saying, I can show you that I believe or that I have eternal salvation by my works even though I don't have faith. But he's saying, I can prove to you that I have faith by my works. So in the body of Christ, people are saying, well, if you're teaching grace, just teach grace. You don't have to balance anything. In fact, some people say things like James and John very, very legalistic, and it was only Paul that was a grace person. But guess what? They were all grace people, and they were all works people in this sense. They believed what Jesus believed, that if you truly believe in Jesus, it's going to show in your actions. Praise the name of the Lord. And so the Bible teaches us to be empowered to do good works. Let me show you something. Titus chapter 2 from verse 14. Titus chapter 2 from verse 14, I'm still going to talk about the different episodes and how they handle this. Because some people say, if you want to teach grace, teach grace. If you want to teach holiness, teach holiness. But guess what? You are empowered to live holy by grace. Hallelujah. So it's two sides of the same coin. Titus 2 14 says, talking about Christ, he says, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Hallelujah. Are you redeemed from all iniquity? Shout hallelujah, I'm redeemed from all iniquity. And he says, and purify us unto himself a peculiar people. You are a peculiar people. We are a peculiar people. But he says something, zealous for good works. So Jesus redeemed you to be zealous for good works. Some of us are not even conscious of good works. Some of us are like, well, I'm already saved. It doesn't really matter. Guess what? You are supposed to be zealous. Zealous for good works. So this is not 
And this is not Paul saying, well, since you've already been redeemed, a little sin here, a little sin there, it doesn't really matter. He's saying you've been redeemed to be zealous for good works. And the goal is not to condemn you. The goal is to remind you that because you are not condemned, you can live free. The goal is to remind you that because you are not condemned, you can live free. Hallelujah. Let's go backward a bit. Titus 2 from verse 11. And so it says, the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Hallelujah. You all know where you were when grace appeared to you. Some of us were knee deep in sin. Some of us were lost without any hope in the world. But the grace of God that brings salvation had appeared to us. He gave us a gift that we could never have given ourselves. We owed a debt we could not pay. He paid a debt that he did not owe just for us. Grace has appeared to us. But it says, teaching us, grace teaches us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Can you imagine that? So there's a lesson that grace teaches. It teaches us to live soberly and righteously and justly in this present world. It says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. So nothing, absolutely nothing empowers you to act right like grace. Let me give you an example. When I, before I um, got admission to study for my first degree, nobody ever asked me for my matric number. Nobody ever said, so you want to be a student and you don't have a matric number. Nobody asked me. But guess what? By the time I became a student, I used my matric number so much that it's been Nine years since I graduated, and I still remember my matric number, 07BE054. I won't tell you the last two digits. It's been a long time. In fact, one of our media team guys, <laughs> who happens to be here now, he, he was talking about when he was in GS3. And I realized that was the year I graduated. Like, man, I'm getting older. <laughs> I know some people are just starting, like, but I'm getting older. But I remember that matric number. Because as a result of my admission, it was something I was given. And so if I was going to have proof that I was a student, I needed to show the matric number. Nobody asked me for it before I became a student. But if you truly are a student, even though it's not your matric number that makes you a student, guess what? You have to show the matric number. And so many of us are caught emphasizing one thing and de-emphasizing the other. But the Bible way is because you've emphasized grace, you must emphasize works. Because you've emphasized one, you must emphasize the other one. And so many of the epistles are written just like parents, maybe not all the average Nigerian parents, but parents who want to tell you, I love you so much. I really appreciate you. Don't forget the son of whom you are. You know, your dad was not a thief. Your mother was not a thief. They are telling you all those things because they want to advise you on how to live. And so many of your episodes start that way, by telling you who you are, and then by giving you instructions. Let's take a look at a few of them. Ephesians 2 from verse 8. This is a letter written by Paul. It says, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that of your, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. None of works, lest any man should boast. However, it tells you in verse 10, it says, For we are his workmanship, Created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God had before ordained that we should walk in them. Yes, in Ephesians 4 verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you've been called. So you've been saved by grace, but now you are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Act like it. If you say you've been set free, why are you still playing around the shackles? If you say you're free, why are you still dancing around in chains? You've been set free. Act like it. Tell someone in the comments, say you've been set free. Act like it. Hallelujah. In Colossians chapter 3 from verse 1, Paul tells us, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ seated on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things on the earth. So in other words, you know you are dead to sin. You are risen with Christ. Stop dancing around dead people. Because if you start dancing around the dead, you will start smelling like them. So it says, seek the things that are above. If you claim that you've left kindergarten class, 
You know, sometimes my dad will want to play children's, she wants to, when we are doing homeschool, she wants to write her ABCs instead of writing her words. Because she's a big girl now, she's, she's four. And so she said, please, I just want to write Nadia's. And I'll say, no, you're no longer in that class. You have to write what people in your class are writing. So if you say you are seated with Christ in heavenly places, you need to act like it. You need to stop letting the little, little things in the kindergarten class get your attention. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Romans chapter 5 from verse 20. Hallelujah. Romans 5 from verse 20. It says, Moreover, the law entered that offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So Paul is saying something very, very provocative here. He's saying that grace is more than enough to handle sin and its effects. There is no sin too big. That you just look at this and say, ah, no, 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 grace cannot cover this one. No, 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 you have to take a loan. Grace can't cover this. There is no sin too big. There is no number of sins that will exhaust grace. That's what Paul is saying in Romans 5.20. But in the next verse, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Romans 6 from verse 1. This is the same person that told you, ah, the more sin abounds, the more grace abounds. But he says, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he says, what? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer daring? You are dead to sin. Stop going back to visit the grave to check. Ah, ah, now, wow, sin is really enjoying. See his grave, see so many flowers. You are dead. You are dead. You are dead to sin. Hallelujah. He says, know ye not that so many of us have put, that were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, were buried by him into baptism, that like Christ was raised up from the dead to the glory of the Father, even so we should also walk in the newness of life. So our baptism into Christ is our separation from sin. Our baptism into Christ is our introduction to walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. Let me show you something else. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 from verse 20. It says, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. So many times, many of these epistles start with what? An introduction to who you are in Christ, to what God has done for you in Christ Jesus. Talking about how you are seated with heavenly places in Christ. But from the introduction, it announces an instruction about how you should live, about how your new man should act. Praise the name of Jesus. Glory to God. And so I want to let you know something, that if you want to truly show that you are delivered, you need to live free. And everything that God has instructed to you, you to do, he has empowered you to do it by his spirit. If you want to show us that you are indeed planted in Christ, guess what? We don't know all the names, but if you bear fruit, we promise you, it's easy to identify you. You want us to know that you are loved by God? Love your brother. Stop keeping malice in church. Stop having people that you don't just talk to at all. You forgiving them, Sha. You know, forgiveness is even from forgiving them, Sha. They are both very, very different. Check your dictionary. If you want to show us that you've been saved by grace, deny ungodly loss, live soberly and righteously. If you want to show us that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, just live right. We'll know. Of course, you still need to preach the gospel. We've taught you that time and time again. But if you live right, it saves you from a life of contradictions. If you live right, you can tell someone you're discipling, be a follower of me the same way I'm a follower of Christ. Hallelujah. Your union in Christ is meant to produce something. So even if your work of sanctification might be a process, guess what? The changes have to be evident. The idea of fruitfulness and productivity matters to God. It matters to the Lord and it must matter to you. In Matthew 5, 16, one of Jesus' earlier messages, he says something he kind of said in his older message in John 15 to 17. In Matthew 5, 16, he says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Sister, brother, is your light shining? You need to stop living your life based on, if I don't do this, I won't go to hell, I'm forever saved. That's amazing. But the fact that you're forever saved is the reason why you should 
act like you are saved. The fact that you have the seal of the Holy Ghost on your heart is the very reason why you should act like it. And so how's your life doing? I know PHCN is bad in Nigeria. If you're watching in Canada or in the US or in the UK, you don't understand. Glory be to God. But can I tell you something? Your light has to shine from the inside out. So you need to stop going about your normal Christian life, not being passionate about change. I remember a time where I knew I was saved and God wanted me to preach in the bus. I used to, um, I worked as a journalist then. And I remember just not wanting to do it. And I remember asking pastor, it was years ago, I said, I know I won't go to hell if I don't do this thing right. And he said, yes, but is that your motivation? You are too old to be doing things for your daddy because you are afraid that they are going to expel you from the house. Now, love is your motivation. I'm going to talk about that going forward. But how is your light shining? How is it shining? You know those areas of your life where you are preaching messages and you don't want the pastor to touch that side? Not everybody has that side. For some of you, it's an unforgiving spirit. But some of you, it's the way you handle money. For some of you, it's fornication. Guess what? Let your light shine. This isn't about, if I do this, will I go to hell? You have citizenship. That's cool. But that's just the beginning. Praise the name of the Lord. Don't go about your normal Christian business not being passionate about change. Don't, don't, don't live your life as if the Holy Ghost doesn't live in you. You are more powerful than that habit. You are more powerful than that company you keep. You are more powerful than those decisions you've been taking. You are more powerful than that. You have the Holy Ghost. And we talk about Ezekiel 36, 26 a lot in Celebration Church. I'm so glad for that. But I'm going to read it again this, this morning. I'm going to emphasize a few things. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Hallelujah. So the stony heart has been taken away, right? Glory to God. That's amazing. But it still continues. It says, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. So this heart of flesh is given to you for a reason. God wants you to walk in his statutes. It's awesome that you are thankful for your heart of flesh. It's awesome that you celebrate it, but it was given to you for a reason. It says, I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And do them. So even when nobody is watching, that heart of flesh helps you to keep God's judgments and do them. Even in times where something looks like a gray area, that heart of flesh helps you to do what God's heart is concerning that matter. God's promised Holy Spirit wasn't just given to you to change that heart of stone to a heart of flesh. It was also given to you so that you can walk in his statutes and do them. And do them. Doing them requires a decision. Doing them requires an action. I can give you a car, and guess what? You can decide not to drive it. It doesn't matter how many horsepower. It doesn't matter whether it's a Benz or a Toyota. If you don't drive it, it's not going to drive. The Holy Ghost is in you to walk in God's statutes and do them. Can you cooperate with him? Hallelujah. Glory to God. And so you need to understand the impact of the Holy Ghost on your inside. Sometimes in my free time, I watch... Some of all these plastic surgery shows, not like I binge watch on them, but sometimes I'm working and just it's interesting. I would like. And I see that even though the doctor cuts open someone to put something inside them, after a while, the impact is obvious on the outside. The impact is obvious on the outside. I may not know that they spent millions of dollars getting new this or new that, but guess what? When I see it, I'm going to know that this thing looks beautiful. How much more? If you've really had a heart transplant by the Spirit, it's must show in your actions. We can't see your heart. We can't see your spirit. But we can see your actions. Hallelujah. You need to understand the impact of the Holy Spirit. And so John doesn't yet have the Holy Spirit within him at the time. He has the Spirit upon him. In Matthew 3, verse 11, he's prophesying about the Christ. He says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to bear. 
and he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, with the Holy Ghost, which is fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor and gather his wheat into the garner, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Imagine that. The impact of the Holy Ghost is not something that happens to you and nobody notices. You may not understand chaff and wheat, but you understand granites, dry granites, the one that they've not yet um, removed that brown part. If you squeeze it out, you are able to remove the chaff from the fried granites. You cannot see the one that the chaff has been removed and say, ah, it doesn't look removed. No. The impact of the Holy Ghost is obvious. The impact of the Holy Ghost is a big deal. He doesn't come somewhere and not purge thoroughly. So if it looks, permit me to say, unpurged, it's probably because you're not cooperating with the Holy Ghost on your inside. Imagine if somebody calls you and says, hey, you won't believe it though. I've just been hit by a truck. And you say, ah, is it toy truck like my children's? You say, no, 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 no. Trailer, the ones that are also the Papa Expressway. Except by supernatural intervention. See, I've just been hit. In fact, the truck is up on top of me as I'm talking to you now. And the person is laughing. Will you believe? How much more the impact of the Holy Ghost? How much more his ability to walk in you and through you to will according to God's good pleasure? You see, last week my children went to their grandma's place. And I can tell you for certain that my house was worried. The actual apartment was worried. Why? Because everywhere was so clean and so quiet. And the house knew that, no, the impact of these children is not being felt here. The moment they came back, it wasn't up to 30 minutes. They scattered everywhere. That's impact. How much more the spirits that hovered over the surface of the deep and made the heavens and the earth. If it's on your inside, his impact is going to show. If it's on your inside, the impact is going to show. If something has been through fire, it will be obvious. I don't know why I'm talking about food a lot. Just forgive me. One of my many passions. But let me give you another example. In Nigeria, we eat something called roasted plantain, boli. The difference between boli that has gone through fire and the one that has not been cooked is obvious. It's obvious. No, no, even a five-year-old Nigerian child, you can't sell them uncooked plantain and say, this one is cooked. Don't worry, just try it. When you get home, you see. No, 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 no. The impact of fire is obvious. Praise the name of the Lord. Bible says that the Holy Ghost will thoroughly purge his floor. He's thorough. He's thorough. Praise the name of Jesus. And so as you celebrate salvation, you need to understand that growth is also a priority to God. As you rejoice in your right standing with God, you need to understand that God will have you stand firm against temptation because he has empowered you to do so. I know you are dead to sin. Now dwell in the land of the living. Stop going to check on sin. If you keep lying down with sin, you're going to start smelling like it. This has nothing to do with your justification, your right standing. That is a gift. But if you've been given that gift of salvation, it empowers you to walk accordingly. And so I want you to grow up and to bear fruits. I want you to grow up and to bear fruits. I was speaking to you from John 15 earlier. In verse 8, Jesus says, Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. This guy is about to die, but he's concerned about bearing fruits. He says, Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain. And that whatsoever you shall ask my Father in my name, he may give unto you. This is I command you that you love one another. Jesus wants you to bear fruit. He wants you to bear fruit. It's so important. It bears testament to the work of the ministry of Jesus when you bear fruit. This is how the world knows that indeed he died for them and rose again when you bear fruit. And it's easier for you to bear fruit and win souls from the kingdom, for the kingdom when you are bearing fruit in your own life. It's easier for you to disciple others when you yourself are being discipled. It's easier for you to grow others in the word when you yourself are growing in the word. It's easier for you to teach people to live above sin when you yourself have learned to gain mastery over sin. 
when people hear messages like, you know, everyone, they say, ah, you know, I did this. Now I'm not preaching again. Now I'm not discipling again. You are missing the point. If at your office they told you, I want you to get this certification so that it can make your job easier. You don't say, ah, I don't have the certification, so I'm not even going to have the job again. You don't do that. We have invested in things that have no eternal value. You know the areas in your life where you are weak. For example, I realized when it comes to business, I'm very, very bad at sales and marketing. So guess what? I began to take courses. Some of you looked at yourself and said, ah, I've added 50 kg since lockdown began. You began to exercise. You began to diet. Some of you realized that you're not the most emotionally intelligent person in the world. You said the wrong thing at the wrong time. What did you do? You began to work on it. And so in your work with the Lord, in your spiritual life, what are those areas that you need to buckle up in? Know them. Work on them because you've been empowered by the Holy Ghost to do so. Praise the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. And so Paul can tell the, the Corinthian church, I speak in tongues more than you all when he wants to teach them about tongues. You don't want to live a life of contradiction. If the word of God says something concerning you, if you've been gifted something by grace, let it translate into your everyday life. As I'm going to tell you, a number of angles that you can grow in. The first is in your devotional favor. And that's every other thing I've said. Jesus prayed. If, you <laughs> if you've ever gotten to a point in your life where you feel like you don't need to pray, just think about it for a moment. Jesus God in the flesh prayed often. He prayed fervently. Jesus was God. He Please, can you think about that for a moment? He prayed so much. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. He prayed so much. His, his sweat turned into droplets of blood. You can't afford not to pray. You can't afford not to pray. Jesus prayed. Jesus studied the word. You never outgrow the basics. Paul had been a disciple for a long time and he said, I, I speak in tongues more than you all. So the idea that you finally get to a point in Christianity where you don't need to pray or study your Bible except you're about to minister somewhere, that's not the Bible way. You don't get to a particular point in your... Maybe you say, ah, I'm now 35 years old. I don't need food anymore. Food is for babies. You don't do that. First Peter 2 from verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow day by. It's not just saying, oh well, the milk is for young Christians. It's saying you need to desire the word of God. It's a necessity for you. Regardless of how old you are or how long you've been in the faith. You need to desire the word of God the same way a baby desires milk. You never outgrow scriptures. Guess what? Jesus evangelized. He preached to others. He was zealous for the things of God. Can you imagine? I may say, okay, well, in my school, I was already a leader. I don't need to evangelize. I mean, I've been a Christian for like 10 years. I've passed that level. Now I just do. No! Jesus preached to people one-on-one. -on -one. Guess what? He also preached to the multitudes. He was zealous for good works. Jesus did not mind his reputation when he came to the gospel. Do you think that the week he pursued all the money changers from the temple, people were not talking about it? They were. But he was zealous. He was zealous for the things of God. You have to be that way. The next thing I'm going to talk about and dwell on for a little while is sanctification. Can I tell you something? You can't grow without your permission. You cannot grow without your permission. You were saved without any effort on your part and empowered by the Spirit to make every effort. I'm going to say it again. You were saved without any effort on your part and empowered by the Spirit of God to make every effort. Let me show you something. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. This epistle written by Peter is also written the same way many of Paul's epistles were written, telling you who you are, introduction, and then guess what after introduction is what? Instruction. 2 Peter 1 verse 2. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. That's an awesome prayer. As his divine power had given unto us all things that pertain to life and godliness 
So it's a gift. All these are pertaining to life and godliness have been what's given to you. Through the knowledge of him who has called us to glory and to virtue. So by knowing Jesus, you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Jesus has called you to glory. You are not ordinary. Your citizenship is not of this world. You are not really seated in your room. You are seated in heavenly places with Christ. Far above principalities and powers. You will never die. You will live forever. You've been called to glory. But guess what? You've also been called to virtue. By which he has given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. Isn't it beautiful? See how many times the word giving is used. That through this you might be partakers of the divine nature. Are you a partaker of the divine nature? That's me. That's my name. Partaker is my name of the divine nature. Hallelujah. The old man is dead. Now I'm a partaker of the divine nature. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. These are powerful, powerful confessions. I'm a partaker of the divine nature. I've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Please, I would like us to read the next verse together. It says, but also for this very reason, for this very reason, for the same reason, <laughs> for the same reason that you've escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust, for the same reason that you're a partaker of the divine nature, for this very reason, giving all what's diligence, hard work, efforts, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, add. In other words, you are not diligent in creating faith for yourself. All you had to do was to believe and the gift of salvation was given to you. But now he's saying that faith that you have in Jesus, add to it virtue. Add to it moral excellence. Can you be trusted with money? Who are you when nobody is looking? Can you be trusted with someone that's not your spouse? Can you be trusted in another person's business? Do you lie without thinking and laugh about it? Can you be trusted with somebody's Wi-Fi password that you got by mistake, but the person doesn't know you have it? Can you be trusted? Add to your faith moral excellence. And this isn't me. This is the Bible telling you this. Can you be trusted? Moral excellence. And it says, and to virtue, knowledge. How are you growing? How are you growing? I know people always ask you how you're doing. But sister, brother, how are you growing? How are you growing in the knowledge of God? And is this knowledge translating into your everyday life? It says, and to virtue, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. 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 Do you know how to say no to things that you should say no to? Are you still giving that excuse? We get angry easily in my family. When I get angry, all I see is red. It had better be red. I better be the fire of the Holy Ghost. Because you're a spirit being. How are you doing on self-control? And to self-control, this is why we're going to have a problem now. Perseverance. Patience. Patience. How patient are you? Can you wait, even though you're not yet seeing the things that God has told you about? Do you, how, how, how do you respond when you see other people succeeding? Patience. Perseverance. Can you, can you stay in a place that God has asked you to stay for a period of time? How how, how do you persevere in prayer? How do you persevere when it comes to fasting? How do you persevere in your dating relationship? Perseverance, add it to your faith. And to perseverance, godliness. I'm going to talk about godliness a lot. Remember, the Bible tells you in this same verse of scripture that you've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. So it shouldn't be rocket science that we're expecting you to be godly. What does godliness mean to you? Is your Christianity simply, well, I attend a cool church. My pastor is cool. He's fresh. He teaches good. I'm part of the Never Die Gang. What does the Never Die Gang mean to you? Are you simply trying to be friends with the world, friends with God, everybody's friend, yopi, 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 cool, cool, cool? There are areas of your life that you should be cool. Some people are really cool in dressing like pastors, really cool. But when it comes down to it, 
If you were to choose between God and the world, how are you going to do? Godliness. Godliness. Are there places that you are being found that you have no business being at? Godliness. And to godliness, brotherly kindness. You need to forgive people. And you need to be intentional about being a brother to that, sis- to that person in the faith. No, the Bible doesn't really talk about us being partial. But when it comes to our brother and son in Christ, it tells us to be partial. It says that we should do good unto all men, especially those in the household of faith. So you should have your specialties, those in the household of faith. Hallelujah. Brotherly kindness. Brotherly kindness. And guess what? It says, add to your faith, love. When I was in secondary school, there was this song we used to sing. It's not really a fresh song, but I'm going to teach you how I learned this verse of scripture. It was, Auntie, I want to cook soup. Auntie, I want to cook soup. The auntie will not say, Now which kind of soup? Now faith soup. <laughs> I can't believe I'm singing this. <laughs> then they'll say, Auntie, what are the ingredients I need? Virtue. You are laughing. If you sang many of these songs, you will know more scriptures. Knowledge. Self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love, and love, and love. So anytime I want to quote, I just remember the song. Then I slow the song down, and I start saying it in my head. <laughs> and in my second school, after this song, there is a song I used to sing. If I you took, oh, that's not part of the message. Hallelujah. <laughs> so add it to your faith. Add it to your faith. Self-control, no habit should have a hold over you. You are seated in heavenly places, right? Act like someone of your station. And I'm not telling you to do something that you are powerless to do. I'm telling you to do something that the Holy Ghost has empowered you to do. See something in Hebrews chapter 4 from verse 15. It says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but who was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I was asking pastor this morning, I said, if Jesus Christ could not fall, would his temptation have been real? It's not just like if 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 someone can't die in a battle, maybe he can he can't be hurt. Why put him there as an example for us? And as believers, we know that Jesus Christ, when it comes to resurrection, is the first fruit of as many of us that believe. The same way he rose from the dead never to die again, we will also rise from the dead on the last day never to die again. You believe that? Yes. So you must also believe this: that Jesus came as a man. That he was hungry like you. That he slept, he slept like you. That he ate like you. That he was tempted like you. And that he was kept from sin by the Holy Ghost. So you need to stop joining all those nobodies, perfect gang. We all have our weaknesses. When are you going to stop having your own weaknesses? You have the Holy Ghost. What kept Jesus from sinning? Because once you mention Jesus, you say, ah, he's not just Jesus, he's Jesus. But what kept him from sinning? It was the Holy Ghost. And guess what? You don't have a measure of that Holy Ghost. You have the entire Holy Ghost that kept Jesus Christ from sinning. You have it in you. So the same way you believe that you're going to resurrect like Jesus Christ did, you need to believe that you can live above sin the way he did. That you can overcome temptation the way he did. That no habits can get a hold over you. Because guess what? You have the same Holy Ghost. That's amazing. That's powerful. So Jesus is not just the first fruit of resurrection. He's also the first fruit of sanctification. Glory to God. Everything that Jesus did, you've been empowered by the Spirit to do. Jesus was sure. He was sure that the Holy Ghost could keep you from sinning. He was sure that the Holy Ghost could keep you on fire. In John 16 from verse 12, he says, I have yet many things to say to you, but ye cannot bear them now. He tells us these things when the, epistles, when the apostles finally write their epistles and we get to bear them because of what he's about to tell us. He says, Howbeit, when he, the spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. So today I'm not telling you a list of regulations. I'm letting you know what the regulator on your inside has empowered you to do. He will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that he shall speak, and he will show you things to come. So he's saying, I've shown you, I've told you to abide. I have many more instructions that I'm still going to teach you. But you can't do it on your own. That's why I'm sending you the Holy Ghost. What works for me will work for you, child. 
What worked for me is going to work for you, Peter. What worked for me is going to work for you, Paul, even though you don't know it yet. What worked for me is going to work for you, James. What worked for me is going to work for you, Laju. What worked for me is going to work for you, Mary. The Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost. You trust him for justification. You trust him. Like you've been resurrected on the last day. Even though apart from Jesus, you don't yet know anybody personally. Even Jesus, you haven't seen him. But you trust him. You need to trust him for your sanctification. And you need to work with him. You need to give all diligence. And you need to make every effort. You guys know that you have time for what's important to you. Some of you wake up and say, in fact, I've made up my mind. I'm going to be dressing better. I'm, going to be, I'm not going to be dirty again. I'm going to be neat. So if you make up your mind, ah, no, I'm going to find a wife actively this year. You have goals. You have plans. How much more for your spiritual growth? How much more? You need to stop watching habits get stronger and stronger when you know that by the Spirit of God, you can bring an end to them. You need to stop being indifferent about your work of sanctification. You need to speed it up. I was talking about pregnancy earlier. Nadia's pregnancy again. There is a time frame that a child is supposed to be giving birth to. Between 38 weeks or 36, 37 weeks. I was one at 36 weeks. But between 36, 37 weeks to latest 42 weeks. So when we say 9 months, we mean around that time. If a child does not come out by 41 weeks, we don't say eh, the pregnancy test is still positive. Let's leave. Let's just leave the child. They do something called induction of labor. You induce labor. For some of you, you need to induce labor for your growth today. You need to say, ah, I've been, you, how can you, someone, you're pregnant for 10 months, why? You're on this spot in your work with God for this long. You need to do something radical. I'm not talking about something radical like swearing for yourself. I'm talking about something radical in light of what the word of God says concerning you. And say, in fact, I've decided I'm not going to do this unless I study my Bible for this amount of time. Make every effort. When you look at your Christian work, are you really making every effort? Are you really giving all diligence? So as I'm talking to you, I want you to write down the areas you need to induce labor in your work with the Lord. I'm going to be more radical in evangelism. I'm going to do this, this, and this. About this habit, I'm going to finally stop keeping the secret. I'm going to tell this person. About adding this new habit of studying my Bible, of evangelizing. This is the plan. This is what I'm putting into action. That's how to grow. Because you cannot grow without your permission. Nobody grows spiritually by chance. Nobody starts praying often by chance. The truth is, if you are intentional enough about it, it might become part of your subconscious. But guess what? You still need to be intentional. Praise the name of the Lord. And so I want you to learn not to be indifferent when it comes to weakness. You know, an understanding of grace puts a large demand on us when it comes to works. Nobody, I don't think anybody thought, spoke as much about grace like Paul. But you are reading his letter in 1 Corinthians and you are wondering. He hears that a guy is sleeping with his father's wife. And this is a, a church that he has taught about the gospel of grace. But he still writes about it. Ah, ah, you guys are not sad. You are accepting this as normal. This is not new normal, oh. He says, how can you guys not correct this guy? How can't you correct him? And he tells the guy, don't you know that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost? Don't you know that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So you need to get to a point where people can hold you accountable. If you truly understand grace, it's more showing your works. And if it's not showing in your works, we should be able to hold you accountable. We don't announce your name in church. But at least you should be able to talk to someone. Someone should be able to talk to you and correct you. We don't just leave people to themselves. Grace people don't leave people to themselves. You can learn that from Paul. Hallelujah. And so I want you to learn to guard up the loins of your mind. PK talked about guard up on Wednesday. It was really a powerful service. Get accountable. Exercise yourself unto godliness. I really like that verse. Exercise yourself unto godliness. You want to run a race. You want to run for marathon. It's not on the day of the marathon you now start saying, I'm dreaming now. I'm dreaming now. No, you start exercising yourself unto godliness. 
First Peter 4 from verse 7. It says, But refuse profane and old wives' fables, and exercise thyself rather unto godliness. So you are rehearsing in your company of three friends how to stand up for the truth. So that if you are in a place where you need to stand up for the truth among 3,000 people, you would have what? Exercised yourself. You're exercising yourself by picking a day to fast every week. So that when a time comes when you need to fast for three days, you've exercised yourself. You're exercising yourself to say no to Potiphar's wife. So that when you get to the palace and there's so much money around you, guess what? You've exercised yourself. Learn to exercise yourself in the little things. Exercise is intentional. What many of us do is we wait for the storms of life to come. And then we start gymming in the face of adversity. But the Bible tells you to exercise yourself unto godliness. Exercise your spiritual muscles. You don't have stuff to pray about. Pray in the Holy Ghost. You are doing something. You're exercising your spiritual muscles. Some of you, your plans, proposals. In fact, I remember I, I had an opportunity to apply for something just last night. And I put together the proposal in like five minutes. Why? Because I had excited myself. I had reviews. I had the words I wanted to say. I knew my selling points. I put it together in five minutes because I was exercised myself. You do that in your business. So that when big opportunities come for temptation, you can overcome. When big opportunities come for ministry, you can take them by the horn. You need to exercise yourself unto godliness. You don't have to wait for something big to happen. Okay, now they want to make me a leader. That's when I'll start praying. No, exercise yourself now. The Bible says that bodily exercise profited little, but godliness is profitable unto all things. Having the promise of the life that is now and that which is to come. People have told you, invest in Bitcoin. I don't know anything about Bitcoin, so I can't tell you. In fact, if you see anything on my page about Bitcoin or anything, what do they call All those ones that have to do with getting people under you so you can learn more. Just know that I've been hacked. But people talk about investing for now and investing for the future. If you bring this one now, you don't have to worry about the future. Well, that's what godly spiritual exercise does for you. If you invest now, in prayer, in the study of the word. It's going to benefit you today. It's going to benefit you 20 years from now. It's going to benefit you until eternity. Exercise yourself unto godliness. You don't call people and say, I'm getting fat. I don't know what to do. And they say, how many times are you eating? Say, I don't really eat much. Maybe like seven times. Or you say, I'm not adding well. I don't know what to do. How many times do you eat? Like half time. No, you know what to do, so get up and do it. Get up and do it. Do you know that when Joseph said no to Potiphar's wife, he wasn't born again. He didn't have the Holy Spirit on his inside. He feared God, and that was enough. How much more you, with the advantage of the Spirit on your inside, exercise yourself unto godliness. Stop making excuses for yourself. Stop making decisions. So, do I listen to this song? Is he a sin to listen to this song? Is he a sin to be dating somebody then I will now go to the person's house for a weekend? Is he a sin? Um, is he a sin to, what are the other ones again? Is he a sin to not tell this person that I'm with their money? Is he a sin to just lie a white lie? Is he a sin to tell my boss, stop that. Exercise yourself unto godliness. It's not a sin not to have a job. It's not a sin to go outside and start rolling your, your, your body on the floor. But there's so much God will have you do with your life that you can't keep making decisions on whether it's a sin. You need to lay aside every weight and exercise yourself unto godliness. Godliness is your nature. But if you don't exercise yourself, it will not show up automatically. Godliness is your nature. But if you don't exercise yourself, it won't show up automatically. What does godliness mean to you? Jesus was so sure that the world will hate us. In John, in John I think, 15 or 16... He's telling us about the fact that the world is going to hate us because the world hated him and his servant is not greater than his master. He was so sure that not everybody in the world will like us. Everybody in the world likes you. Why? What are you compromising on? Is it that they are talking to you because you dress like them, talk like them? People say um, sex for marriage is now, is now a normal thing. And you say, yeah, that's true, that's true. What are you saying? Are you saying what the Bible is saying? 
See, people say you should live with each other before, mar before marriage. You say, yeah, well, well, I understand that. Are you saying what the Bible is saying? What's your standard for truth? I'm not saying that you must be the most hated individual in the whole entire world. But if everybody in the world likes you, check yourself. The Bible tells us that friendship with the world is enmity with God. It's a different thing if you try to, of course, live in peace with all men, which is what the Bible instructs us to do for the sake of the gospel. But for many of us, for many of us, we just, we just want to like be like the world and sprinkle small Jesus sauce. Small Jesus sauce. So you put a picture that Jesus Christ would not like to be associated with when it comes to a believer. He might allow somebody who does something like that to wash his feet and forgive her sins. But your own, you already claim to be a believer. You put the picture there, you add scriptures. No, 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 no. What, when it comes to, it may not even be things such as sex or whatever. When it comes to money, how is your heart? Are you covetous? Are you greedy? And this is not me telling you, fire and brimstone, fire and brimstone. No, this is me telling you to look into the mirror. All things that pertain to life and godliness have been given unto you. Acts like it. Who are you when nobody is looking? And this is not a call to condemnation, it's a call to correction. That's how the disciples spoke. See what James said in <laughs> James 4 from verse 4. He says, adulterers and adulteresses. <laughs> you know, grace is really tough on sin. Because grace is the solution to sin. If I found someone eating from the dustbin, and I told him, come and see this house. In this house, you will have cooked food every day, anytime you want. In this house, you will not lack anything. And you have access to this house. It's free. And, I, and after, after all the person you have assorted in this house, the next day, I see the person eating from the dustbin again. I'm not going to say it doesn't really matter. Anyways, it's choice. Whatever makes him happy. I'm going to ask him, don't you know what your inheritance is? Don't you understand that you've been given something amazing? You've been given these free gifts. Can you take advantage of it? And so James is not even having it when he hears that people are doing stuff like this. He says, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? In those little, little situations, where you know that if you say something about the gospel, people may not like you, what decisions do you take? In those situations where you know that if you stand up for what is right, people may not like you. What decisions are you taking? What decisions are you taking? Do you care more about your reputation and the reputation of Christ? Is your reputation similar to the reputation of Christ? When you hear that people are being killed in the north or in other places in the world for the gospel, Somebody said, when we, we heard about Leah Sharibu, somebody who claimed to be a Christian said, why did she not recant? It's her fault. And a, a believer said that. You want to be liked. But don't forget, you owe it to the person who first loved you. You owe your eternal devotion to him. A man like Stephen, his reputation is smeared. People said things against him. And he has the opportunity to speak for himself. Someone like me, naturally, if somebody says something against me, I want to speak for myself. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. Especially if I know I'm innocent. But this guy starts a story that has no relation to the Old Testament from the Old Testament and then uses the opportunity that he will have to defend himself to defend the gospel. So he's speaking for over two chapters in the book of Acts and he never for once defends himself. Why? He cares more about the reputation of the gospel. He cares more about people being saved than his own reputation. So, I need to ask you, how much do you care about the approval of the world? And what's it costing you? What are your priorities? People say things, open marriage, you say, eh, no problem. Adultery, eh, no problem. Lies, you, you are open to that. Examine yourself. Examine yourself. You don't want to talk about the gospel too much. Yes, there's somebody who wears human hair, takes a video on social media, and begins to sell packages on how to charm men, and does a video for four minutes without flinching, without being ashamed. She's not wearing a mask. She's not saying, let them see my life, and they'll know I'm, I'm using charms. She's a babalawo without chalk. She's talking about 
schemes of the devil in broad daylight and post it on our social media. You, your dear. You have to do more. Don't forget what you've been redeemed with. Don't make light of it. Don't make light of it. Though the world is sure to hate you. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people. I also learned this verse of scripture by a song. That ye should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You were set apart to set yourself apart. You were chosen to identify as a chosen one. You are peculiar for a reason. You are peculiar for a reason to show forth. He's not asking you that you were, you were called of darkness so that you can blend even more with darkness. He's telling you that you have been called into his marvelous light. You are going to be different. You won't always be liked. But guess what? The gospel is more important. The gospel is more important. You've been called out for a reason. So consecration should be a priority for you. It should be a priority for you. You should care more about what God cares about than what the world cares about. And that's one reason why you need to grow. You need to grow for the sake of ministry. See, eh? let me give you this example I gave a few days ago about an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 5 from verse 15 to 20 talks about this a lot. But it's not my focus today, so I'll just share a few thoughts with you. An ambassador knows that he's not in the host country because he wants to get citizenship to his home country. He's already a citizen. Your citizenship is in heaven. You eagerly await a savior. So his motivation is not, ha, if I don't do this thing now, they'll revoke my citizenship. Oh my God, oh my God, I don't want them to revoke it. But guess what? He's also not going about his life, a responsible one. He's not going about his life saying, well, I'm already a citizen, so I don't really care. I'll just merge with the home country. He cares more about the affairs of the place where he's coming from than the affairs of the place where he's now in. So you should care more about the affairs of the person who sent you. You have a commanding officer. You are not an ordinary civilian doing what you like. You are a military personnel. The reason why you have a military approach to ministry, a military approach to your personal devotion, is because somebody loved you and gave himself for you. You were an outcast, but now you're an ambassador. He didn't just make you a citizen, he made you his representative. That's no ordinary thing. To be a representative for God is no ordinary thing. To be able to stand in the gap. Jesus is not here in the flesh, but guess what? You are here. What are you doing about it? You can't keep living an ordinary life. You can't keep living as if blood was not shed for you because you know, no matter what I do, I won't go to hell. If you had a child and you called that child and said, no matter what you do, I'm still going to love you. No matter what you do, I'll never disown you. Won't it break your heart? So know that the child will begin to think of the worst things they can possibly do since they will never be disowned. A truly responsible child will want to love and serve you out of love. That's the life you've been called to. And so Peter, in this same um, book, in 1 Peter 1 from verse 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things such as silver or gold. That's the reason why you can't be covetous, because you are worth more. From your vain conversations received by the children of your father. But with what? With the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without spots or blemish. So you've been redeemed with something. You've been redeemed with something. But this redemption is two-ended. You were redeemed from something to something. If you buy something in the market... Not only does it no longer belong to the person who had it before, it now belongs to you. You are blood-bought, act like it. You are blood-bought, act like it. The gift of love in Christ Jesus motivates us to work. It motivates us. Now, love is what compels us. We don't have to be threatened with the fear of hell to live right because we've been empowered by the Spirit of God to do so. And so every teaching on grace that you hear should drive you to devotion. Someone should look at your life and know, ah, somebody died for this person. This person is bought with a price. Why are you in chains for the gospel? Because Jesus set me free. 
Why are you praying in tongues, man, all of us? Because the Holy Ghost is a gift. I'm going to take advantage of him. Why are you saying no to sin? Because Christ said yes to me. Why are we asking as Christ died for us? Why are you telling everybody about Jesus? God desires that you help other people grow. Glory to God. So don't, don't, don't take for granted what you have in Christ. Don't take it for granted at all. Don't take it for granted at all. Choose to grow. Choose to abide. Because Christ first loved you. Hallelujah. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening. We are sure that you have been blessed. For inquiries, reach us on our helpline 0809 996 7000 Blessings